thank you so much for that uh, introduction. It's wonderful to be here um, with all of you today um, to mark the launch of the Center for Strategic International Studies new report uh, on Feed the Future and other U.S. agricultural development programs in Guatemala. Uh, before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the presence of uh, the Guatemalan Secretary of Food and Nutrition Security, Herman Rafael Gonzalez uh, Diaz. Uh, thank you for being uh, here with us uh, today. I would like to um, talk about a little bit about the progress that has been made in Guatemala, uh, the challenges that still remained, and the role of the United States in the region. Uh, since signing the peace accords in 1996, Guatemala has entered a period of relatively economic and political stability. Uh, during this period, economic growth has been strong. Um, inflation has been uh, low also. The government of Guatemala has also enjoyed some remarkable success in reducing uh, violence as a result of smart community policing and a focus on building investigative capacity. Guatemala's homicide rate is now at a 10-year low, much lower than, than its neighbors in the region. Uh, in recent years, Guatemala has also made important progress in, in uh, combating corruption, and that is, um, you know, thanks to the courage of uh, the two uh, women, uh, former um, Attorney General Claudia Pasi Paz and current Attorney General Thelma Aldana. Yet there are still many challenges facing uh, Guatemala. Despite the progress that has been made, corruption it is still one of the biggest problems uh, in Guatemala. Poverty and uh, inequality rates are not getting any better either. Even after years of economic growth, in fact, national poverty levels have increased. Nearly half of the children in Guatemala suffer from stunning and drought um, has also impacted uh, food prices and uh, while driving um, availability of the food uh, down. Guatemala's indigenous communities have been especially hit the hardest. When the Civil War ended in Guatemala, the government committed to improving development in indigenous communities. That has still not happened. Uh, basic services um, such as uh, uh, water, portable water, reliable roads, electricity uh, are still lacking in uh, rural parts of the country. So what still needs to be done? Uh, first of all, the Guatemalan government needs to improve its ability to collect taxes. Yet collecting more taxes will do very little if the funds are then stolen or mismanaged. Therefore, Guatemala must continue to fight against corruption and strengthen its institutions. Likewise, Guatemala's government needs to rethink how it is allocating its budget resources. Too little of Guatemala's government spending goes to health, education, and rural development. And that has to be a priority for them uh, to change. The United States has a strong interest in seeing improved development in Guatemala. In 2014, after, after ten, uh, tens of thousands of children arrived at our southern uh, border, southwest border, the United States encouraged 
the presidents of Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala to come together with a plan to improve conditions in order to reduce uh, illegal migration. And with uh, the help from Inter-American Development Bank, the governments presented the plan of the Alliance for Prosperity in the Northern Triangle, November of 2014. And the United States provided important support in fiscal year, year 2016 the Congress appropriated $750 million uh, for the U.S. strategy um, for engagement in Central America, primarily the uh, Northern Triangle. That was a substantial increase from previous uh, years. It was also a substantial shift in U.S. assistance policies. By increasing assistance and development and governance, um, not just for security. Congress recognized that if poverty and corruption remain widespread, it will be difficult to achieve sustained reductions of violence, um, thus compromising you know, our um, primary intent, and that's to reduce migration specifically as it relates to minors uh, fleeing um, their, their home country. Food security programs are a key component of development efforts in Central America, especially in Guatemala. Guatemala has uh, been a Feed the Future country since the initiative first began. Feed the Future is one of the most forward-looking development initiatives to come, to come out of the U.S. government in recent years. It recognizes that countries must design their own development plans the answers cannot come from Washington, D.C. My colleagues and I are committed to working to ensure that Feed the Future retains integral to the U.S. development efforts for years to come. The CSIS uh, report emphasizes that the important um, that it is important to, in, to have a realistic expectation about development in Guatemala, and that is, that is an important uh, observation uh, within the report. Yet, as the new administration takes shape here in Washington, it is important to stand behind our commitment to Guatemala. A secure and prosperous Guatemala really is possible, and the U.S. assistance can make a real difference, and we have seen that um, in recent years. In closing, I want to thank CSIS uh, for this investigation and to congratulate Kimberly Flowers and Reed Hamill on an excellent and very important report. Thank you for uh, coming today, all of you. I wish I could spend um, a lot more time, and I wish I could share some of the work uh, that we are doing to continue the work and stay focused on a, in a very bipartisan way in the region. But, you know, you have my commitment um, as a founding member of the Central America Caucus that we will stand with you and continue uh, to support the work, the very important work that you um, have done in the region. Thank you once again, and thank you so much for inviting me here today. Thank you so much, Representative Torres. We're so grateful that you were able to come today. So today, we are launching our third 
and final report in our Feed the Future country case study series that we called Tracking Promises. Each of these reports profiled Feed the Future strategies and investments in the largest country portfolios by region. The first one focused on Tanzania, the second on Bangladesh. If you're dying to have the whole set, uh, we left a few of our extras of the Tanzania and Bangladesh reports in the back on your way out. Feel free to grab as many as you need. Um, I want to take a moment first just to credit and applaud Reed Hamill. Reed's in the front there. I'm going to ask her to wave. Um, She wrote this report, which when you pick it up, you will see it's almost like a book. Um, Tackling such a large project is not easy, and I really hope that her thoughtful and critical analysis helps spark some new discussions on how we can best approach food security and nutrition in a country that is really an important neighbor to the United States. So thank you, Reed. Let's take a moment and give her some applause. So what makes Guatemala unique in our series, among other factors, um, is it's got a really long history of economic and agricultural partnership with the United States. Feed the Future draws on that by its established interagency expertise with strong connections from USAID, USDA, and Peace Corps. And I'm just going to detail a few parts of this report. My hope is that you've been able to skim it already and that you'll go home and read different sections. But it really starts out with a discussion on the real food and security challenges that Guatemala faces, particularly in the predominantly indigenous areas of the Western Highlands. I'm big into graphics. So if you even see at the very beginning where it talks about the zone of influence, it's like on page two or three, this is the area where Feed the Future programs are concentrated. It's an area also called the Western Highlands. The report really dives into the national governance um, context. And as we know, and as Representative Torres pointed out, that country leadership and ownership is a central tenet of Feed the Future investments that we certainly hope continues. The report also profiles U.S. government investments, both in Feed the Future and other U.S. government programs, and then it attempts to answer a critical set of um, questions unique to this context and portfolio. So I'm also going to ask you to turn, if you have your reports, because I don't want you to miss all these good parts. If you turn to page 55, you'll see this is the critical section or critical question section, which is a really great chapter. But it talks about, for example, the innovation labs and how U.S. universities are connected to this. Um, You'll see on our recommendations, which are both within the executive summary as the synopsis, but then more detailed out in Chapter 6, what makes us a little bit different than our other um, country case studies is that we laid out and delineated separate sets of recommendations, both for the United States government, some for the government of Guatemala, and then also highlighted some common challenges that both of the governments could work on. So along with this report, we are also unveiling unveiling today a short documentary that we produced. So sit back, relax, and learn. In the next eight minutes, you will see, not quite yet, we're almost there. In the next eight minutes, you will see some of the images and meet some of the people that we met with when we traveled to Guatemala late last year. I want to especially thank Paco Fion. He is a very talented videographer and photographer who traveled with us on our journeys. I also want to recognize Justin Kenny. Is Justin here? He might not be. I don't see him. Justin is um, a former PBS NewsHour foreign editor and senior producer. He now owns a company called Small Footprint Films. This is our second documentary to produce with his guidance, and I hope we have the pleasure of working with him in the future. I also want to thank... 
Fran um, Burkham. Fran works in our award-winning CSIS Ideas Lab, and she helped piece it all together. It was great working with Fran. So let's begin and watch the documentary. After emerging from more than three decades of civil war in the 90s, Guatemala is a nation still struggling across many fronts. Despite steady economic growth and middle-income country status, it has some of the most alarming food insecurity in the Western Hemisphere. Its youngest citizens are hit the hardest. It's stunting rates alone of its children, so that means the, the children are not getting the right kind of nutrition that they need on a daily basis to reach the level of height that they should be for their age is some of the most alarming in the world. Also alarming is the country's income inequality. The top fifth of the population controls roughly 60% of Guatemala's wealth, while the bottom fifth owns just 3%. Most of the poor are rural and indigenous families who depend on agriculture to survive. Guatemala's exposure to recurrent natural hazards and climate change is the highest in the region. The forced resignation and arrest of President Otto Perez Molina. President Otto Perez Molina is accused of taking part in a multi-million dollar bribery operation. All this indicates the seriousness of the political crisis. The country's government, which has long been plagued by corruption, has failed to meet the most basic needs of its citizens. Its very low tax base has led to inadequate public spending on social and health services and on infrastructure to support the economy. In rural areas, there are only three healthcare workers for every 10,000 people. Another significant problem for residents in those communities has been the lack of local support to improve crop yields and income. There's no permanent agriculture extension service in Guatemala. So that means with every election cycle, they spend the first year within the Ministry of Agriculture looking for and recruiting ag extension agents that may or may not have the skill set needed for the job. Then they spend the second year training them to ensure that they do have the skill set. So the third year, they are actually starting to reach out to rural populations and, and giving them the the education and the skill sets that they need so they can grow better crops. In the fourth year, those extension agents, which are political appointees, are oftentimes campaigning in the next election cycle. That lost time teaching better agriculture practices has had a compounding negative impact on the most vulnerable of Guatemala's population. Guatemala is one of 19 Feed the Future countries around the world one of only three in the Western Hemisphere. The U.S. government program in the Central American nation includes participation from USAID, USDA, and Peace Corps. Eleven agencies overall are involved in the global effort. Its zone of influence is in the Western Highlands, where 10% of the country's population lives. In that area, you see 76% uh, of families are in poverty. 26% or so are extreme poverty. Um, Two-thirds of the children are stunted. A majority are indigenous populations, and most haven't completed any primary school education. With an annual budget of 12 to $18 million, the initiative aims to reduce poverty by 15% and stunting by 12% in the Western Highlands. It's a pretty ambitious program overall, trying to address some incredibly um, serious development challenges. USAID has a long history of working on food security in Guatemala, but predominantly through direct food aid. The strategy of Feed the Future, which started in 2010, places an emphasis on agricultural production activities to address the root causes of hunger, poverty, and malnutrition. More than a dozen programs receive funding from the initiative, 
including the Rural Value Chains Project, which aims to increase employment, incomes, and nutrition. Another program, NutriSalud, improves the nutritional status of women and children in more than 2,000 communities. In late October of 2016, Kimberly Flowers and Reed Hamill of the Center for Strategic and International Studies Global Food Security Project traveled to Guatemala to meet with project and government officials and also program beneficiaries, including Mariano Hernandez Gonzalez and his daughter Dina. Hemos ya hemos logrado algo porque yo anteriormente me salían. He is a participant in the Ana Cafe project, which helps farmers cultivate and sell their coffee while maintaining the health of their plantations. The program also teaches effective methods of crop diversification to counter coffee price volatility. Gonzalez explained that before enrolling in the program, he'd have to travel to Mexico every year to find work to support his family. Now he can stay at home and tend to his own crops, thanks to the training and help he has received. One of my favorite parts of the trip is sitting down and talking with smallholder farmers who um, produce coffee. And Guatemala is the eighth leading coffee exporter in the world. 40% of that is purchased by the United States. And Feed the Future programs work specifically with smallholder farmers. In fact, last year alone, Feed the Future farmers who work in coffee increased sales by 32 million. That's impressive. Other Feed the Future projects range from increasing access to quality seeds of improved disease-resistant bean varieties to scaling up software technology to track export processing. They also teach communities how to improve nutrition behaviors with community health workers and cooking demonstrations. Agriculture Minister Mario Mendez told the CSIS team that he's grateful for the support from Feed the Future programs, but he'd like Guatemala to see even greater opportunities in the U.S. market. Sería importante poder crear negocios sólidos donde Guatemala pueda producir diferentes productos que ustedes actualmente están consumiendo, lo cual generaría empleo y riqueza para los guatemaltecos y generaría empleo y riqueza para los norteamericanos también. Entonces. After seven years of implementation, policymakers are taking stock of Feed the Future and its accomplishments and challenges. The Global Food Security Project's new report assesses progress and makes recommendations to improve program efficiency and effectiveness. Some areas that we think could be improved is one, looking at targets. Make sure they're realistic. Make sure they're achievable within the country context. We'd like to see an expansion of nutrition programs as well as more of a focus on food and water safety. There could also be better transparency of where the money is going and, and the progress that it's making thus far. You definitely see a huge improvement both in the lives of smallholder farmers and the lives of children and mothers. Um, so now is not the time to stop. The future of U.S. government funding for food and nutrition security is uncertain under the new U.S. administration. Sustained resources for Feed the Future is critically important not only to Guatemala, but also to the United States. We want our neighboring countries to be stable and secure, whether that has to do with national security or economic growth, because that makes them a better trading partner. That makes them, when they have better economic opportunities, they're less likely to be migrants or to be illegal immigrants and searching for new opportunities. So the more stable that a country is, the better that it's in our national security interest.
We have a really exceptional panel to join us today of experts and government representative. I'm especially thankful for those who traveled from Guatemala to join us. And, you know, they're here to share their thoughts and expertise with us today, but know that tomorrow morning we'll be up on the Hill briefing congressional staffers to help them um, continue to be informed as Congress stays engaged in this issue. I'm going to start with introductions. Uh, we are very honored to have Secretary of the Secretariat of Food and Nutrition Security, Herman Rafael Gonzalez Diaz. And he coordinates in his, in his role with government agencies in Guatemala and other partners to eradicate undernutrition in Guatemala and works on Guatemala's Zero Hunger Plan. He has a degree in food security and poverty and a master's degree in environmental economics and natural resources. We also have with us Janet Lawson. Janet is from the U.S. Agency for International Development. She's currently in the Economic Growth, Education, and Environment Bureau, or E3, but she spent her years as the agriculture team leader in 2012 to 2016 in Guatemala. Um, we also have Dr. Patricia O'Connor, and Patricia has been the director of the USAID-funded Community Nutrition and Health Project in Guatemala for the last three years, but she's really spent her entire career, decades actually, in Latin America and other places working both for USAID, for the United Nations, and for a variety of implementing partners, including Save the Children. And last but far from least, we have Luis Ramirez. Luis has also a very diverse background. Um, it's, when I was trying to write his, his intro, it was very hard because he's covered so much in his career. Um, he's a, a researcher who's looked at the socioeconomic factors, of course, around maize production, sustainable intensification, particularly in Guatemala. But his work has spanned Asia and Africa and a variety of spectrums across the development um, industry. So we're very grateful to have you all here today to have a discussion. And we will start, of course, with Secretary Gonzalez. Um, Secretary, help us understand the country context. Um, talk about your approach to addressing hunger, poverty, and malnutrition. And help us better understand the relationship between Guatemala and the United States. OK. Um. I, I have to apologize, but because I have to to speak in in Spanish, but uh, here in my traductor is going to be uh, efficient in in that. Okay, Guatemala tiene un un reto importante de disminuir el 46% de la desnutrición crónica en niños menores de cinco años. Uh, the main the main challenge for Guatemala is reducing um, chronic malnutrition in, uh, please repeat the percentage, 46%. in 46% in children uh, below five years of age. In ese sentido, el país ha disminuido durante los últimos 20 años 15% de esa desnutrición. Pero El dato más importante es que hemos disminuido desnutrición aguda en 82% durante los últimos 20 años. Y esto se dio por una sola razón. This has diminished during the last years. The biggest accomplishment is that 82% has been reduced 
during the 20, 20 last years uh, for one specific reason. Trabajar de manera sistemática e integrada lo que, es, lo que tenemos que hacer en seguridad alimentaria y nutricional. Guatemala tiene un sistema de seguridad alimentaria y nutricional en donde participa el sector público, el sector privado y los organismos de cooperación. We have been able to do it by working in a cooperated fashion, in involving the public organizations, uh, private organizations, and cooperative organizations as well. Y los beneficios que Feed the Future ha traído a Guatemala se dan en ese marco, el marco de trabajo conjunto entre el gobierno de Estados Unidos y el gobierno de Guatemala. What Feed the Future has brought is precisely this framework, bringing all of these um, results and accomplishments to the Guatemalan people. Por supuesto, esto genera sostenibilidad por, en primer lugar, fomenta sinergia para tener metas comunes para el desarrollo rural, tal y como lo decía eh, mi colega, el ministro eh, de Agricultura de Guatemala. It brings uh, synergy, just as uh, our colleague from Guatemala was explaining, and it helps in the transparency of the process as well. Hemos estado trabajando en manera conjunta para varias, varios temas. La ventana de los mil días, el fomento de la integración de las mujeres al trabajo dentro y fuera de la agricultura y también en el manejo de ingresos. We have been working in different ways, supporting what is called the window of the thousand days, both at the national and the local level, integrating uh, the training of women in jobs that are uh, beyond agriculture so that they can uh, get some income, and uh, making communities more resilient. También la resiliencia de las comunidades a efectos vulnerables a desastres, crisis e inseguridad alimentaria, la respuesta al problema de la roya del café. Ustedes vieron mucho trabajo con el eh, con agricultores y con eh, cafetaleros, pequeños cafetaleros, y también en la innovación en las tecnologías y prácticas para apoyar a los agricultores en el altiplano del país. The resilience of these uh, vulnerable communities to both natural hazards and climate change, as well as uh, food insecurity. Also, the response to uh, the disease that attacks coffee, which is called Roya. And the innovation of technologies and proven practices to help Uh, the small farmers in the plateau or the highlands in the country. Este trabajo, y para terminar de englobar esta primera participación, nos ha llevado a poder reducir el 27% de la extrema pobreza de manera conjunta, el 6% de la desnutrición crónica, datos del año 2015 para el objetivo del 2017 es disminuir 5% de pobreza extrema y 59% de desnutrición crónica. Um, 
extreme poverty has been reduced in 27%, and chronic malnutrition in 6%. This, are, this data is from the years 2013 to 2015. For 2017, the goal is reducing poverty, extreme poverty, I'm sorry, to in a 5% and chronic malnutrition in 59.3%. Thank you so much, Secretary. I have a number of questions, but I will save them for you until we get to our panel. Uh, next, we're going to go to Janet. So, Janet, um, help us understand the Feed the Future portfolio, the programs there, as well as some of the greatest successes you've seen and any roadblocks within the initiative. Okay. Thank you to CSIS for your work in producing this comprehensive report and for inviting me to participate in today's panel. Thank you to Secretary Gonzalez for your remarks today. We would like to commend you and the Guatemalan government on the progress of the country's national strategy to prevent chronic malnutrition. Feed the Future is proud to be supporting Guatemala in addressing malnutrition. Through effective collaboration to implement an integrated strategy, USAID is working with the government of Guatemala, our fellow interagency partners, the private sector, and civil society to improve economic opportunities, as well as access to and utilization of quality health, nutrition, and education services. Feed the Future aspires to make population-level impacts with rigorous measurements to hold ourselves accountable. And we have made progress against these ambitious goals to reduce chronic malnutrition and poverty. There are various challenges that rural families face in Guatemala that impact these goals, such as the devastating effects of the coffee rust disease outbreak and the complexity and pervasiveness of the underlying causes of stunting in Guatemala. Nevertheless, in the 30 municipalities where Feed the Future focuses our programming, we have seen reductions both in extreme poverty and in chronic malnutrition for children under the age of five since the start of Feed the Future in Guatemala. Specifically, nutrition interventions supported by the U.S. government reached nearly a quarter of a million children under five in 2015. Activities have included pre- and postnatal care early in life, exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months, proper weaning strategies, vitamin supplements, treatment of anemia and diarrhea, and nutrition and family planning education. Activities also include agricultural strategies to increase access to nutritious and protein-rich foods, such as promoting household gardens, increasing yields from black beans and corn, and working with women's groups to improve small animal production. We have been able to effectively mobilize USAID's Food for Peace Development Food Assistance Activities to work with very poor households to gain the skills and knowledge to improve maternal and child health, increase household access to nutritious food, and diversify incomes. The Feed the Future Agriculture Program helps small farmers access diversified market opportunities by improving business and marketing skills, as well as agricultural production and quality. In 2014, as rates of youth migration to the U.S. began increasing from Central America, the U.S. government refocused programming to a strategy that addresses the root causes of crime, violence, and migration to the U.S. Feed the Future's work to address food insecurity and poverty contributes to the strategy. Recently, we have been working to strengthen the focus on economic opportunities for youth within our work, as a lack of economic opportunities is one of the primary causes of youth migration in Guatemala. Learning from the past five years of implementation, USA Guatemala has also expanded its focus on non-agricultural jobs 
as a pathway to reduce poverty in rural areas, complementing Feed the Future agriculture investments. Through projects such as the Rural Value Chains Project and Partnering for Innovation's AgriHoven Project, we have strengthened the capacity of cooperatives to access new markets and supported youth to build savings and loan groups. While on a field visit, I had the opportunity to meet a young man who is working with a local company that partners with USAID to produce and use biological organisms in integrated pest management. He had successfully increased yields and cut input costs in vegetable production. He expressed that while he once considered migration, he had now was interested in remaining in Guatemala as he had increased his income and because he wanted to work with other families in his own community to use agriculture innovations to raise their incomes as well. We are very proud of the collaboration and partnerships we've had with many key stakeholders throughout the Feed the Future initiative. Chronic malnutrition is a stubborn issue in Guatemala. With child scenting rates that remain the highest in the Western Hemisphere and among the highest in the world, the fight to end child stunting is one we can't win alone or overnight. It will take strong partnerships and a sustained collective effort. Thanks again for having me, and I look forward to discussing these issues further. Thank you so much, Janet. We're just going to pop all around. Normally we go straight down the line, but we want to, as Luis says, keep you on your toes. So we're going to go next to um, Patricia. What would you like to add, particularly help us think about this from um, the government of Guatemala's approach to the health sector? Okay, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I applaud the report that CSIS has developed. Uh, I think it's a very candid um, capture of the situation in Guatemala, which is a, a very challenging one. As uh, Janet just pointed out, Guatemala is a middle-income country, yet it has a health profile that mirrors one of a country with far, far fewer resources. So I would like to complement what's been said so far by talking a little bit about where we are in the health sector in Guatemala, the challenges that are uh, at hand, and maybe look to some rays of hope or some possibilities um, that are emerging. I think there are four overarching uh, challenges at the policy level. Uh, first of all, there's been tremendous instability in the sector. I've worked in Guatemala now for almost three years, but I've worked under the leadership of five ministers, and I have supported three very different primary health care service delivery models. So with so much instability and change, it's very hard to get traction um, to improve health outcomes and reduce chronic malnutrition. Another uh, overarching challenge is the financing. It's been pointed out that Guatemala has some of the lowest tax revenues um, in the hemisphere. So that takes us to think about the size of the pie that the country is able to spend on health. And there's a second issue, which is how the pie is divided up. And so the health sector is getting um, uh, short shrift, if you will, uh, in terms of the allocation for uh, primary health care. Um, the sector is also quite fragmented. You have um, the Ministry of Health with certain responsibilities. It's receiving about half of the public sector financing in health and covers over 80% of the population. And you have the Social Security Institute, 
receiving um, almost the other half of the funding and yet uh, covering about 17% of the population. Increasingly, there are resources in local government budgets that can be used for water and sanitation and health, but it's very difficult to put all the pieces together under one coherent strategy. And so I think the instability, the lack of financing, and the fragmentation in the sector have created a big challenge for Guatemala to take promising interventions to scale. And we know from experience around the world that working at scale and really um, covering all of the families in need is critical to seeing the, the impact. Um, so that's still a pending uh, dream, I would say, in Guatemala. But there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, there is a new, there's new leadership in the Ministry of Health, and uh, Minister Hernandez came into the position bringing a team of seasoned experts, and they all share a vision for an inclusive model of health, which is called MIS in Guatemala. Um, and the MIS model really, for the first time, I think, in a very serious way, puts universal access to primary health care as the overarching goal. Um, Guatemala also right now has a presidential commissioner for the prevention of chronic malnutrition. Um, so that uh, he has been able to integrate the efforts of uh, all of the line ministries that participate or contribute to reducing chronic malnutrition, as well as civil society groups. They've all participated in generating a new national strategy for preventing chronic malnutrition and the Secretariat for Food Security and Nutrition is the operational arm. And CESAN, the Secretariat, has um, tentacles all the way out to the community level in Guatemala. So CESAN works through the uh, national community um, and rural development structure. Um, so I think uh, there is a now a good possibility for um, this leadership uh, to emerge and carry the country forward. And I think uh, one of the pending questions, if you will, is the 1,000-day window of opportunity. It's clearly the heart of the new national strategy, um, but it has not yet been embraced by the Ministry of Health. So I think there's some internal uh, dialogue and work to be done in that regard. Um, at the operational level, there are um, challenges that uh, really need to be addressed. Human resources is one. Of course, it's linked back to the financing, but in the rural areas of Guatemala, we have only three health workers per 10,000 population, compared to urban areas where it can be eight or ten times that. Um, so it reflects the inequity um, that we see in many ways in Guatemala. There's also a dearth of infrastructure. Um, Guatemala, two and a half years ago, um, shut down one model of primary health care that had been implemented by local NGOs who had more physical presence in the communities. Um, but when that model closed, the country lost 80 percent 
of the primary health care service delivery points, and they have yet to recover. So um, there's really a very, very weak platform on which to um, push services out to rural communities. Uh, Guatemala is fighting hard to route out corruption in the public sector. There is an international body, CC, which is the Guatemalan um, anti-corruption body that's working hand-in-hand with the Guatemalan government's um, attorney general's office. Um, They are now uh, tackling the big challenges in the health sector. Um, So I think that some of the challenges that have existed in the supply chain and in financing essential commodities um, could start to see some, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and the other big challenge that the sector faces is, is data and information. There really is not uh, timely and accurate data available to decision makers and policy makers. Um, so I think the international community is well positioned to um, help with that. Um, again, I think there are um, very concrete rays of hope in this, um, in this regard because we have a, a strong focus on corruption. We have a strong focus on improving data to um, inform decisions, and we have um, committed leadership in the Ministry of Health. Um, and uh, the new minister is really um, advocating hard for civil service, Uh, contracting of employees, which has been a huge limitation. As um, Kimberly pointed out in the video, a lot of times people are hired on these temporary contracts, and so the turnover is enormous, and it requires reinvesting in training people. So if we can get that uh, challenge solved, that would be huge. And I'll just wrap up by talking a little bit about local participation, because we know that Health outcomes are a shared responsibility. Families and mothers um, and community leaders need to work together with the formal health sector if we really expect to see um, reductions in stunting and improvement in health outcomes. And I think here Guatemala has generated some very promising tools um, that are showing a lot of um, uptake and So I think there's um, an emerging platform for linking the family and the community to their local government and onto the health sector. And I think a challenge here is to really work more intentionally with adolescent girls and young women. Um, First pregnancies in Guatemala occur at a very young age, and we see very high rates of low birth weight. So we're already um, putting um, newborns at risk of of stunting before they really even have a chance to get going. So um, I applaud USAID's growing emphasis on adolescent girls and adolescent health, and I think that is um, an area that Guatemala will be working on more as we go forward. Fantastic. Thank you, Patricia. Luis, what are we missing, and what, what are you going to add to this dialogue? Well, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, CSIS. 
Um, I also want to thank uh, Feed the Future for the opportunity. I'm currently working with CIMIT, the Center for International Maize and Wheat Improvement, and we're working in Guatemala to improve the lives of farmers working in, in the lands in the hills, and these are very small farmers who sometimes they don't even have enough land to work, and they are losing their soil, they are losing the water, they don't have enough um, the capacity to produce enough, enough food for themselves, and they go out and look for labor and where they can work. So the question is very tricky when you're saying what is missing, because it's a very complex situation in Guatemala. I'm pretty sure in, in many other countries in the world the situation is it's complex. We have historical issues, we have economic issues, we have political issues, we have cultural issues in Guatemala. Uh, I don't see a, a recipe to say, okay, this is the solution for Guatemala. What I see more is in terms of how we can institutionalize the decision-making process, how we can institutionalize the accountability process in many areas. Talking about, and these are some of the topics that uh, Janet and also Patricia and Herman have already mentioned. How can we improve the participation of individuals, families, communities, municipalities into the different process to take first the initiative to identify their problems, the initiative to find those solutions and take action and then eventually use the resources that they have available in order to find and, and start moving forward. And here comes uh, some of the points that we have already mentioned, that there has been a lot of integration from different programs, and USAID has been working on the, on the ground, and many other organizations as well, bringing these resources over there. Um, it's not easy, it hasn't been easy, but uh, what I have seen, some of the topics that are missing is how we can support that development at the community level, how we can improve uh, and be more efficient and effective in the use of resources from the government and from the other organizations. So th those funds can be really looked at in a more transparent way and they can really reach the points that are needed. Not only in the health system, it's also in the agricultural system, it's also looking into the markets, it's also looking into other, other areas. Um, there is an issue of appropriateness, how people can really own this, the process and they can move forward. Um, do we need to improve food production? Yes, and there are programs working on that. Do we need to improve markets? Yes, and there are programs working on that. Do we need to keep working and improving the health condition and social services that are reaching? Yes, but the tricky part is how we can bring that community empowerment so they can take control of those issues and they can, uh, social accountability, people being also looking into those areas. Corruption has already been mentioned in Guatemala and it's not only in Guatemala, in many countries in the world is happening. Yes, we have our former president in jail, uh, which is, which I would say is something important to mention that there has been some efforts to improve that part but that level of participation has to come down at the community level so people can take ownership of those things, probably not at the level of the president, but probably at the level of the agricultural services, the health services, the community services, so people can really uh, demand better quality of the services, but at the same time, being part of how those services are implemented and move forward.
Wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to start with my question. I'll start with the secretary, but I'm also curious of your other thoughts. You know, one thing Guatemala has going for is very well-written plans. Their strategic plans are very solid. The challenge is the implementation of those plans. And, you know, Patricia, as well as others, have pointed out the instability, you know, due to political turnover, the lack of financing, you know, the tax base keeps coming up over and over, and uh, the fragmentation in the health sector, I'm sure, can probably spill over into challenges and other challenges of the agriculture sector. So starting with the secretary, um, what are your biggest hurdles to implement the work that you know needs to be done? We've talked, you're very thoughtful. You're a very good strategic leader. So why can't we just make it all happen? <laughs> What's the biggest challenges that you face in your role trying to implement great strategic plans that you have on paper? Uno de los, voy a mencionar al menos cinco eh, retos que nosotros tenemos para poder hacer de que lo, los resultados se muevan lo más rápido posible. I will mention at least five challenges that are making more difficult to reach the outcomes we wish. El primero es actuar con transparencia, actuar con transparencia en, en todos los niveles, no solo en el nivel nacional, sino en el nivel local. Hablar con la gente, trabajar con la gente y tratar la manera de que la gente sea lo más receptiva a los programas que se deben de hacer. The first one is talking to people, transparency, reaching them, talking with them, being able to get them involved as much as they can so that they can participate and, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, it was a problem with the, with the sound here. Uh, so again, reaching people and involving them as much as we can in all of these projects. El segundo tema es tener realmente socios y compromiso de esos socios hacia, hacia el trabajo que se debe de hacer. El trabajo que hacemos con las agencias de cooperación de Estados Unidos es un trabajo en realidad de socios y de compromiso hacia llevar las intervenciones a donde deben de realizarse. Ese trabajo se debe de hacer con todos los sectores. El sistema de seguridad alimentaria y nutricional en Guatemala no solo es el sector de gobierno o el sector de los gobiernos amigos que nos ayudan, sino que es el sistema de todas las instituciones y que todos debemos de actuar de manera asociada y con el compromiso para poder llevar la mayor cantidad de intervenciones a los hogares y sobre todo a esos niños que necesitan crecer bien y no tener desnutrición. We need to have partners. We have partners with, for some projects, but in the case of uh, food and nutrition security, we need social, uh, partners at all levels. We need the uh, collaboration so that all of this is brought to the level of the houses where the children are going through all the instances from the local to the national with the help of the different uh, partners. El tercero de ellos es, pareciera muy fácil decirlo, pero es la prioridad geográfica. 
Tenemos que focalizar en los lugares en donde más desnutrición crónica hay. Guatemala tiene 22 departamentos, su división administrativa. De esos 22, 7 de ellos explican el 60% de la desnutrición en el país. Y en esos 7 departamentos debiéramos de hacer las intervenciones para reducir los de la desnutrición. Por ejemplo, con USAID estamos trabajando en 5 de ellos, haciendo clara la priorización geográfica para tener resultados en el corto plazo y lo más rápido posible. The next challenge is geographical location. We have about 22 departments or uh, regions. Seven of them uh, equal 60% of the greatest uh, malnutrition. We have already some intervention from USAID and we are reaching about five. El último de ellos es, voy a unir dos, sostenibilidad y aumentar la capacidad del sector público del país. Ese, ese es otro de los grandes retos que nos, que nos tienen que permitir trabajar en los próximos años. Como decía Patricia antes, eh, el Ministerio de Salud necesita mucho, mucha, mucha capacidad para poder implementar las acciones para reducir desnutrición. Y eso significa mover de mil puestos de salud que tenemos actualmente en todo el país a más de cinco mil puestos que debieran de existir en el país. Esos cinco mil puestos, por supuesto, no se pueden construir de, una, de un día para otro, pero debemos de trabajar en hacer y aumentar que la capacidad del sector público tenga mayor efectividad y sobre todo tenga un acercamiento con la población lo más pronto posible. The next challenge is sustainability and increasing the capacity of the public sector. We have currently about 1,000 jobs that help in healthcare and we need to increase it to about 5,000. That is the challenge in itself, because it's all the resources that need to be placed or put in motion to create those job posts. Thank you, Secretary. Um, to the other panelists, any comments or reaction to his remarks or other thoughts on, again, challenges to implementation? We've mentioned already many, but anything else that you want to add on that point? So I want to turn next to Feed the Future. You know, the report is about the Feed the Future portfolio. There's Um, it's a vast portfolio. Um, you know, Janet covered a lot of the high points of it so far. Um, but Janet, you know, over the last seven years, um, what do you see if someone asks you as sort of the best lessons learned in Guatemala um, in terms of is, is there anything that maybe will shift the strategy moving forward or what have you learned in terms of in that implementation um, that we didn't know before Feed the Future? So when we started to design our Feed the Future strategy, we were looking at some of the results from Food for Peace. Um, and we saw 
as we've seen in Guatemala that chronic malnutrition um, rates, had, it's been difficult to reduce them. But what we saw was that when we had an integrated strategy that um, was doing multiple different interventions in one area at the same time that it helped to um, reduce chronic malnutrition. There's been, um, there's been increasing incomes in Guatemala, but mm -hmm. we really designed our strategy to have um, a greater impact by looking not only at agriculture interventions, also the health interventions, including education, looking at local governance, um, and having the, the food for peace, food assistance um, angles to it. So I think having that integrated strategy that is looking at the problem from multiple different levels and different issues has really helped to um, create results and impact on the ground. Yeah. Since you brought up the original strategy and plan, um, how, how did that sort of shake out, you know, right? Sometimes you write a plan at the beginning and that doesn't always occur as it goes out. You learn some lessons and change some things along the way. Um, so when you look back at sort of the early days of Feed the Future and during throughout your time there, did anything dramatic change or shift in terms of strategy or focus? I think the, the major strategy change was when the, um, with the U.S. strategy for engagement in Central America, the SEND strategies when that started in, in 2014 and the U.S. government committed um, to working on reducing crime um, and poverty with, with more depth and emphasis in the Northern Triangle countries um, in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And so with that, we were really focusing on how, how are we going to increase economic opportunities and so we were looking at agriculture opportunities, but also now our portfolio shifted some to look at um, non-agricultural opportunities as well. Um, and also, as I mentioned before, the focus on youth is really looking at that with our strategy. When you, when you talk about non-farm, we saw at least some like weaving and um, what's that the right word, weaving? <laughs> yeah, for, for textiles, right? Mm -hmm. um, so is that what you're talking about? Or are there other examples of non-farm activities that you guys are working on? Um, so that is one of the examples, especially we really wanted to focus on women in the portfolio and um, to, to really get at women's incomes as well. We focused on textiles, uh, handicrafts. Um, but now we're starting a, a new component. Um, there's a new project that will come online called the Creating uh, Economic Opportunities Project that will also look at um, increasing incomes, but it's not solely um, agricultural focus. There's other other areas in which it'll work as well. Um, to you, Patricia, you know, as it's, it's such good timing, we didn't plan this, of course, that her project just ended, you know, so it's always that opportunity as you close out a project to sort of look back, and so as you look back at NutraSalud, you know, tell us a little bit more about the project itself, um, maybe some of its greatest accomplishments, but also wh what you would advise to USAID Guatemala as they look forward um, to see how they might shape some things differently from some of the lessons that you've learned. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, the project had three overarching objectives. We worked on um, promoting the 1,000-day window of opportunity, the essential nutrition actions. Um, we worked on improving the quality of integrated uh, basic maternal child neonatal health care. And we worked on local participation. And I think there are a couple of the interventions in the project where we really wove those three objectives 
together um, in a way that um, holds great promise for Guatemala. And one of them is a tool that we created, it's called The Wheel. And it's literally a, a it's a poster that um, uh, supports household behavior change. And it's a wheel that links um, very concretely to the 1,000 day window of opportunity. So we have specific known behaviors that if adopted by the household will help ensure a healthy pregnancy, which is critical. We have another set of behaviors which if there's uptake in the family will ensure um, good childcare through the second birthday. And then there's another set of um, behaviors related to, we call them everyday practices. So it has to do with hand washing, using and cleaning a latrine, separating animals. So they're more the nutrition um, sensitive interventions. And um, the wheel was far more um, successful than we envisioned. We knew theoretically this would be a great tool because you can go into a household, you can talk to the family about the behaviors and negotiate with the family um, for them to try one or two behaviors. And progressively, as the thousand days um, roll on, the family can try and adopt new behaviors. Um, but the real uh, surprise for us was the enthusiasm that local health workers had for using the tool. And um, I used to say, uh, uh, you know, you used to go to a health center and the uh, health outreach worker might say, um, okay, I'm gonna fill up my backpack today with a flyer on breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And she'll go out and do a round of household visits and drop off, you know, pictorial images of appropriate breastfeeding. Two weeks later, she's gonna go back and she's got a similar flyer on uh, early child feeding, et, et cetera. So by the time she's filled her backpack with a lot of different folders and she's gone to all the houses and they've received all these different flyers, everybody is confused. They're all very good messages. They've all been validated. They're wonderful, however, they're not integrated. So what the wheel did was made it very easy for health workers to, to arrive at a home where this poster with the 19 known practices is hanging up, check in with the family, how are you doing on the uptake of this behavior, and add new ones as they go. So both families and health workers were incredibly enthusiastic. In just 18 months in the project, um, we surpassed our goal and saw 55,000 new uh, participants in the wheel. So I think um, that's a, a lesson or a, a tool and a, and a very promising strategy um, for uh, the Ministry of Health. And I'll just uh, close that uh, example by saying we, at, toward the end of the project, we also came up with a set of complementary tools to really engage community leaders. Um, chronic malnutrition is invisible in Guatemala. People don't see it. We can sit here today and be horrified at the rates of chronic malnutrition in Guatemala. 
But when you go to a village and 73% of the children are chronically malnourished, it's the, it's the norm, it's what's expected. So we needed to think of creative ways to make chronic malnutrition visible and to create um, enough momentum and motivation among local leaders um, to really work on it. And so complementing, making sure community leaders understood the practices in the wheel and giving them their own tools to monitor and follow up and dialogue with families. And so again, I think that's another um, big, it, it holds great promise at the local level in Guatemala. So to the extent that um, community leaders and families um, understand the issue, they truly rally. And we saw beautiful examples of community leaders getting involved. For example, in one uh, high community in the Cuchumatan Mountains in Huehuetenango, which is above the tree line, so there's no forest there, um, and the community had no latrines. But when the community council, the community leaders, understood that having a clean latrine could contribute to um, a healthier childhood, the community leaders said, well, we have to build latrines. And they went uh, the extra mile, they negotiated with their local municipal government to have some materials delivered to the community and they organized a latrine building project. So I, that's just one small example, but I think we really do need to make sure we get these linkages right between the family, their community, so we have a good enabling environment and linking back to the health sector. Thank you. Luis, a similar question for you, you know, on the project that you worked on, uh, Buena Milpa, you know, tell us about some of the successes you had there. But I'm also curious, this is sort of a double whammy question, because I want to hear lessons learned and things that you've seen with the Feed the Future investments in your projects or others. But I'm also curious of, of how you see that's tied to climate change. You know, how how is any of this work, um, you know, we, we know that Guatemala is, is, whether it's drought or other issues, is seeing the effects of climate change. What, how does that connect to what you see in agriculture? Okay, well, uh, it's actually a very good question. And the project is actually working with very poor farmers in, and I mentioned that before, in, in the hills. And some of the major problems that the farmers they have over there is that they are losing their soil and the water is basically just washing out all the nutrients of the soil and they have very little production. So some of the things that the project is working at this moment is how we can improve sustainability, which is basically water and soil, but at the same time, how we can improve productivity in those conditions. So we have been working with farmers, and the project in this way is very interesting because it works with local partners, but local partners that are working at a second level, meaning that the partners that we're working, they are funding and working with farmers associations. So we work through these local partners to do this transfer of technologies on how farmers can improve sustainability, but at the same time, they can Im Im improve the productivity of their plots. And this is basically something that we're working is, is agriculture of conservation. 
And that's one very strong element that we're doing. So some of the examples and, and best practices that we have been looking and we saw, we went to a farmer, and the farmer was just excited because he was already implementing some soil and water conservation, things that everybody who has worked in agriculture will say, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, but that has not been, has, hasn't reached yet some of the farmers doing some counter uh, planting the trees and planting some of those agriculture, but also doing the, lo the green manure, using their, the materials that they have available in order to improve the uh, fertility of their soil, reducing the amount of tillage that they do in, in those areas, doing crop rotation. So what we are doing and working with some of the farmers, and they started looking that first, some of the things is that they were start, um, using less fertilizers and they were getting more yields out of their farmers just because they are improving uh, soil fertility. Uh, and at the same time, they are re the, the erosion is being uh, reduced so they can improve also that part. The other element, and this is some of the things that you're talking about climate change, Again, it's soil and water conservation. And some of the problems that we have in Guatemala in those areas is that people, they depend basically on corn, and the project is around corn production. But through the year, you have corn, you have beans, you have squashes, you have many other things, and that's the milpa system. And some of the major problems that we have is that traditional corn varieties in Guatemala are very tall, extremely tall, at five meters high. And when you have winds or things, they fall. And that's a big problem. So some of the activities that we're working with farmers, and they got the idea immediately, was how we can teach farmers to select those varieties that will they have high yield, but at the same time, they are lower. They are not that high. So they are not affected by wind. So again, we're coming here to the point, working together with farmers in terms of how they can identify their problems. Some of the problems is that the corn falls, and how they can, through uh, selecting the best varieties that, that can help them to produce corns that are uh, lower, uh, and they can sustain the winds on that part. So after two or three years of working with them, farmers are already identifying and they already have those things. But the interesting thing in here is that we started working in some communities with these, and farmers from other areas, they say, hey, I, we want also to learn about how to do that. So farmers are teaching to other farmers how to do that process and work on that. So again, it's a spreading and working on how to improve their soils and how to improve their corns and their milpas, because that's the other element that we're introducing, is how we can diversify their crops. And it was a very interesting project Mas Frijol, which is also implementing and diversifying beans. And you're going to say, well, in Guatemala, everybody eats beans. Yes, but there was a problem. The problem was that there was a pest that was affecting beans. So there was a, a big trade-off over there. The beans just became very expensive, so people, they start to stop buying the beans or producing the beans. So Mas Frijol started supporting that, but they were supporting with a bush type of beans. And in some of the parts where we're working, traditionally they have the stream beans, the beans that work just crawling around the maize, which is another traditional in some parts of Guatemala that they can do it. But they needed a variety that was not so aggressive that will crawl all over the maize and reduce yields. So we worked together with another USAID project that has been selecting varieties that were not so aggressive. 
uh, we work with the local institute of uh, Mason, uh, and the local the local institute of technology, who developed the seeds. And with our partners, we were able to disseminate these seeds. So we are promoting the diversification and use and availability of beans, which brings a lot of protein on that part. So those are some of the examples where we are working to, to improve sustainability, but at the same time improve uh, productivity on the farmer's level and help them uh, in terms of the climate change with regards droughts and the lack of water. One of the things I love about Feed the Future is, you know, we talk a lot about integrating nutrition and agriculture, but it's pretty obvious right here on this panel that we have Patricia, you know, an expert in health and nutrition, sitting right next to someone who can talk about ag production systems and that they're both a part of this initiative. I think that's important to keep in mind. I, I want to have one last question for Secretary. Um, uh, Gonzalez, before we turn to the audience, and, and that's about sort of what I just mentioned. You know, Feed the Future, it, certainly, as we say in the report, it, things can always be improved, but there's a lot that's been done here that's successful and that we want to recognize. You know, and as you, as you in this political climate, uh, we know we may be facing funding cuts. We know that the reason we bring um, the field to D.C. is so that we can better educate the Washington policy community, but as well as better educate um, Congress of how these programs actually look in the field. So, Secretary Gonzalez, uh, my question to you, I ask this a lot on my events more and more, I realize, but why should America care about what happens in Guatemala? If we have an America First policy, why is it in the U.S. strategic interest to invest in Guatemala to do things like we've just heard that their projects do? Una muy buena pregunta y también voy a tratar la manera de hacerla lo más resumido posible. Guatemala está pasando por un camino bastante lleno de oportunidades para poder llevar desarrollo a sus comunidades, pero sobre todo para una población que está en rápido crecimiento, como son los jóvenes. Y los jóvenes tienen una, eh, un primer paso que dar, que es pasar por la ventana de los mil días. Tenemos una alta eh, experiencia en conjunto, USAID y, y Guatemala, gobierno de Estados Unidos y gobierno de Guatemala, en poder estar a un paso de eliminar de una vez por todas esos altos índices de desnutrición. Y necesitamos terminar de hacer ese trabajo, eh, ampliando la cobertura, como decía Patricia, hacer escala. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Say, she's got a lot to translate over there. I was thinking in, in, in Spanish. Thank you. Okay, so first of all, thank you for the great question, and I'll try to be brief. Uh, basically, Guatemala has plenty of opportunities for developing communities, and especially targeting one population, the youth. Um, they are really key for this 1,000-day window, which we have been working in collaboration 
with USAID, and it would allow us to really eliminate uh, the greatest uh, indexes of uh, malnutrition. Necesitamos también fortalecer esos grados de comunicación entre toda la sociedad. Y durante los últimos cinco años, especialmente con los proyectos que el gobierno de Estados Unidos ha trabajado en conjunto con Guatemala, hemos empezado a trabajar con esa, ese fortalecimiento de conocimientos y de comunicación que nos han permitido aprender de las lecciones que hemos tenido, teniendo buenos sistemas de monitoreo y evaluación que nos permiten ajustar la política pública. Y creo que en, el, en los próximos cinco años, eh, sin temor a equivocarme, vamos a, vamos a tener en Guatemala al menos 10% de desnutrición crónica menor a la que tenemos actualmente, que nos permitirá poder dar ese gran paso de poder reducir esos grandes índices. Our next goal would be strengthening uh, communication and coordinating with the NGOs that are carrying out a USAID project. This communication I refer to in terms of uh, the political institutions. We already have a good channel of, co of communication, but we need to improve it. And That would allow us to eventually bring 10% of chronic malnutrition to at least lower it down at a 10%. That would be our goal for the next years. Y por último, priorizar las, la ejecución de intervenciones costo efectivas, donde agricultura, salud, educación tengan esas intervenciones de manera sostenida dentro de las instituciones de Guatemala. Last but not least, prioritizing the execution of cost-effective interventions regarding uh, food security, health and nutrition in Guatemala. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to turn to the audience now. Please raise your hands high. We will take three in a row. Do we get our microphones in the back, please, for our microphone runners? Um, we'll take one right here in the corner with Phil, with George Mason. Another one, Jillian, on the side there, the woman with her hand up. Yes, go ahead. Good afternoon. I appreciate uh, your presentations. Uh, I'm a faculty member at the Global Food Security Project at George Mason University, and I've uh, spent some time in Guatemala in 2010 and 2012 looking at U.S. government food aid programs and Feed the Future initiative. And one of the biggest elements of Feed the Future has been the country-owned approach. And the basis for the country-owned approach has been historically the U.S. has uh, provided food aid and food security uh, between governments. And so the concept of country-owned is holistic. It's supposed to include NGOs, uh, for-profits, multilaterals, and the government. And it's supposed to be kind of an integrated approach. And, you know, the Feed the Future initiative has been in Guatemala since, since 2010, 
or 11. And uh, there has been some progress, as the uh, CSIS report has indicated. But yet there seem to be real institutional barriers. The problem of hunger and poverty in Guatemala remains enormous. And, and the question I uh, have is, where do you develop political will that is adequate to implement this country-owned approach in an effective manner? Thank you. Excellent question. Go ahead. Let's take one more question before we turn to the panel. Um, right, go ahead and do the back again, the woman in the white, yes. Thank you, my name is Claudia Gonzalez from the Amer Organization of American States. I was in Guatemala in April, and uh, uh, there was a mention here on embracing an ownership of partners and institutions. With the new strategy of malnutrition that involves different ministries, how do you see that issue moving forward? Thank you very much. Um, Secretary Gonzalez, we'll start with you on some of those, and then I'm going to turn to Janet next, and then we'll see if other panelists have comments. Secretary? In the últimos dos gobiernos in Guatemala, el compromiso político ha estado eh, ahí en poder llevar este tema como parte de la política general de gobierno. Según según lo que se hace dentro de cada uno de los de los inicios de cada gobierno ha estado eh, dentro de las primeras dos prioridades, a partir del 2012 hasta la fecha. Eso significa que todas las instituciones dentro del país van a priorizar ese tema como parte de su accionar. Uh, let me say that for the last two uh, government periods, or the two last governments, this has been the general policy to give a priority uh, to these particular programs. So from 2012 up to now, this has been the general uh, type of action that has been taken. Para la segunda, la segunda pregunta, el tema de de la alimentación escolar. Particularmente ese programa tiene 17 años de, de existir en el país y ha estado eh, mucho más fortalecido durante los últimos dos años. A la fecha, el programa de alimentación escolar ha entregado ya eh, los desembolsos para que las comunidades puedan preparar la alimentación escolar dentro de las escuelas. Y este es un programa novedoso. No es un programa donde se le traslada que los maestros preparan las, la refacción, sino que los padres de familia eh, preparan esa refacción o esa alimentación. Uh, regarding uh, feeding students in schools, uh, it has existed during the last 17 years, but it got stronger during the last two, when 
allocations have been given directly to the schools and it is not, the schools are not going to be in charge of the feeding, but the parents are going to do the cooking and are going to be involved directly. Y por último, la estrategia de prevención de desnutrición crónica está trabajando en formar a esos equipos que van a hacer las intervenciones a gran escala. Eh, el último reporte que tengo es que 1.200 trabajadores del sector agrícola, salud y educación y CESAN están trabajando activamente en la activación de, esta, de estas intervenciones para reducir desnutrición y están yendo directamente a 82 municipios del país para poder llevar a cabo las intervenciones a un solo hogar y cada hogar poder recibir la mayor cantidad de intervenciones. And regarding the last question, preventing uh, chronic malnutrition. Uh, teams have been created and we have about 1,200 people working, involving even Cezanne, where 82 municipalities are being targeted. We are going directly to the homes and helping each home with their particular needs. Let's turn to Janet first and then we'll go down the line. Janet, especially the question around how do we develop political will? So when we started to develop the Feed the Future strategy um, and we were working with the government and their commitment, they had the, the Zero Hunger Pact. Um, so when we were developing the strategy, we looked at the geographical area where the government was implementing the Zero Hunger Pact, and we chose a subset of 30 municipalities um, where the pact was being implemented for, for USA to focus on in that area. And we're continuing to work um, with the government as the lead as they're implementing the national strategy to prevent chronic malnutrition as well. Um, we worked with the government to strengthen their ability um, to collect data. We worked with the National um, the Institute for National Statistics Institute um, to work on collecting, improving, improving the collection of food security data um, to have that available for decision making. Um, we worked with CESAN to improve the capacity to do um, monitoring and evaluation of the Zero Hunger Pact and the National Strategy to Prevent Chronic Malnutrition. Um, and then regarding the, the school feeding question, USDA does have um, with a program, the McGovern Dole Food for Education program, which is working on um, school feeding at the moment as well. Anything you want to add? Um, again, these are the kind of situations when I probably shooting myself on the foot. And many people have heard that before that I start talking about that the political and, and, I, and I like very much your question when you say how we can develop the political will um, because it's a little bit tricky. There are people definitely working in government institutions and, and, and local organizations and communities that they see the problems, but sometimes they don't have the capacity to move the machinery. And this is probably one of the things when I was just speaking that we need leadership, a clear leadership that can bring the process up and moving forward. The previous government had a huge opportunity when they launched the system of zero malnutrition. 
it, it was something that can really have everybody to looking into that part and looking forward. I mean, children, who doesn't really want to have children playing, playing around and being happy and growing? Mm -hmm. Politically, it makes a, a lot of sense. Unfortunately, events on the previous government, they took advantage of that. And they, they, although they did something, was not enough. And what I feel right now at this moment is that it has lost a lot of traction, and it basically just has dis dispersed a lot of the intention from different groups, private companies, different organizations. So people are going in different ways and trying to do a lot of the things. We were just having a talk with Herman, and he was just basically mentioning Guatemala was able to reduce acute malnutrition. And they were able to reduce acute malnutrition basically because the Guatemalan people, they got all say, listen, this is impossible. And everybody was just providing food. In terms of acute malnutrition, in most of the cases, food is the medicine. The problem when you have chronic malnutrition is that food is not the solution. It's just one of the items that you have to put over there. It's hand washing, it's the other things like that. So the big challenge here is that leadership, how we can put everybody, and it comes into political will, will in, in order to be able to move forward this and have everybody thinking in terms of how we can institutionalize the services that are needed, how we can make sure the transparency, so the resources that are destined for that are really reaching the people who are in need. And then the question again, how we can really improve that political will? Again, I think it has to be the support from international organizations, people bringing that into the table. The interest from uh, companies who really want to do something, but they need also the government to do something about it. Communities and people demanding those services and, and those. So I would say we cannot have only one person making the political will, but it has to be a group of organizations creating a critical mass, so that starts spinning in the right direction, because it has scattered all over the place. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I also think the question on political will is, it's fundamentally important. And I think part of the solution is um, for Guatemalan citizens to hold their government accountable. Mm -hmm. And maybe that sounds a little bit like pie in the sky, but, in Guatemala, this happens. I mean, I think if you, if you look back um, to the fact that uh, it was civil society that demanded that the government address corruption, and it led to the installation of the um, International Commission Against Corruption in Guatemala, CICIG. It was civil society groups that brought down a very corrupt government two years ago in a very, very peaceful way. But it, these are examples that have brought together the elites and the rural communities. And I think there's another example that's maybe even a little more directly connected to um, nutrition and, and health, um, and that is that about 10 or 12 years ago, civil society groups pushed for the government to make good on women's reproductive rights. And they pushed, and they pushed, and they pushed, and they got a law. And then once the law was passed, there was so much debate that the law didn't go into effect. 
So the citizens pushed again, and they pushed, and they pushed. And the law is now in full effect. And the great thing about this law is that it includes a financing mechanism. So the inputs that are required for women to really achieve their reproductive rights, it, you know, it's a system that works. And I tell you, if there's ever a moment that that financing mechanism is under threat, the um, civil society watchdog groups are all over it. So I think um, there are good examples in Guatemala of citizens holding their government accountable. We had an enormous missed opportunity for this to happen when uh, two and a half years ago when the government shut down the uh, NGO uh, subcontracted uh, program for primary health care. And I had mentioned earlier we lost 70% of the service delivery points in the rural areas. It went virtually unnoticed. Citizens did not really react or speak up. Um, so I think there's, it's, it's a curious question for me why uh, chronic malnutrition is not triggering such a um, widespread um, reaction from civil society. But I, I think that um, if there's a spark that could create that kind of a movement, once Guatemalans can come together, they know how to um, push, uh, push an agenda forward. And there are other examples also with um, other watchdog groups. But I think it would be um, just wonderful to see uh, the citizenry of Guatemala contribute to a sustained political will, a sustained national agenda that um, survives changes of government and other instability. Excellent points. Thank you. Go back to the audience. Raise your hand for questions or comments. Um, come right here to the man. The glasses, Julian, on the, well, my left side, right there. Yes. Hi, Lizardo Bolaños, Guatemalan. Uh, the first question would be, I've heard a lot about transparency, I've heard a lot about political leadership, but I haven't heard a lot about civil service reform. And this is important because we have to remember that the health, uh, the public sector workers were supporting the president that was being convicted by corruption. We have to remember that also the people connected with the education and labor union were supporting him, and also NGOs in the rural areas. So there is an issue that has to be working about uh, civil service reform that we're not talking here that I think is important. And the other one I would like to hear about non-agricultural opportunities that go beyond weaving, especially from the uh, Guatemalan public sector, because I believe uh, if, we're gonna, if we want to provide good jobs, weaving is not a solution. Thank you. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Um, Excuse me. I'm here representing the USDA along with my colleagues, uh, representing both the McGovern Dole Food for Education program and the Food for Progress program, who, which we've made significant investments uh, through Feed the Future um, since 2010. And one of the things I'd like to know from the group is what kind of brings our, our uh, programs together is the education component. Education also not only at the uh, primary school level, but uh, where programs like McGovern Dole uh, are working, but also 
um, at the university and, and secondary education level where our projects have worked in the past with private institutions like Valle de Guatemala or University of San Carlos. Where do you see in the next 10 years, you know, this, this push, like the, the priorities and what is needed at the, at the education, at these different education levels, both uh, in rural communities, but also for uh, higher institutions of learning and with respect to like the, the next generation of, uh, uh, of youth in Guatemala. Thank you. Thanks. We'll take one more. Anyone else? Um, Jillian, can you give it to Bob right there? Yes. Thanks. Go ahead, Bob. Thank you. Um, Bob Rabatsky with uh, Feed the Future, Partnering for Innovation. Um, I like the report. I thought the report was a little bit light on how you can help uh, the business sector, uh, the agribusiness sector in particular. Um, you know, what kind of look um, and assessment is there for the business enabling environment in Guatemala? Um, and um, some regional integration. I'll give you an example. Um, I know that there are some discussions and there have been some opening of the borders between Guatemala and Honduras, which has facilitated trade of, of goods and services, um, which the business sector likes a lot. Um, in the report, you show that there's about $3.5 billion of ag exports to the United States. Well, there's a similar amount of, of exports to the region. so. Encouraging that trade uh, would would be a very good thing for for business, for jobs, and hence nutrition. I think, um, and we, we we just had a biological event, uh, lab event down in Guatemala where we had some businesses come in to look at um, investing in that sector in Central America. And, and one of the one of the big issues is. Registering a product in Guatemala, you have to register the same product in El Salvador, in Honduras, in Costa Rica, in Panama. If you can register it once so that it could be sold everywhere, that would attract a lot of businesses. So just um, a question. Thank you very much. Go ahead and turn to the panel, and we'll start with you, Secretary, and we'll just come all the way down for anyone who wants to answer any of those points. But particularly, as you know from the documentary and questions, I'm very interested in civil in the civil society, or not civil society, but the civil service reform. I will say, you know, to your point, like when Reed and I were in the field, this came up in every single conversation we had. I would literally start to look at my watch to see how long it was going to take for them to bring it up without us bringing it up. Um, so it's clearly a huge issue. Of course, we were talking about more for ag extension agents, but it carries across the across the way of how those continual um, the political change and how that affects the civil service is a huge detriment to getting basic services out. Secretary. Una reforma del sector de la ley de servicio civil en Guatemala es increíblemente necesaria, eh, dado que se necesita fortalecer la institucionalidad pública, pero también fortalecer que esos recursos humanos estén con las mejores condiciones, pero sobre todo que no eh, tengan, voy a hablar como economista, fallas de mercado ahí adentro. Y eso requiere una, una reforma bastante compleja del, del, de la ley de servicio civil. Y esa reforma pasa por también comprender que el, el sector que debe de hacerla es el sector de los diputados en el Congreso. 
Y, es, y ellos tienen que estar muy activos en este tema para no crear una, un, un fallo de mercado peor de lo que pudiera estar haciendo hasta ahora. Um, addressing this civil service reform, the major need is to reform the service law that addresses not only the institutions, but the human resources. That will prevent, as um, Mr. Gonzalez said, speaking as an economist, with um, prevent failures, marketing failures. Uh, so in the sector, the deputies are key. The, those uh, Congress participants have to be addressed in this policy reform. Quiero hacer un, un resumen de las dos últimas preguntas, porque el tema de educación es un tema clave. Eh, la estrategia que ahora está trabajando el gobierno para hacer educación va no solo al, al nivel formal, sino que al nivel informal dentro de, las, dentro de los hogares. Y es importante también eh, llevar información y educación a las mamás para que ellas puedan tener mejores prácticas de salud, de nutrición, de alimentación con sus niños. Uh, regarding the other two questions, it is important to combine uh, the strategy that has been used in education, not only in the formal level, but the informal. How? Bringing to the homes, to the mothers, this information that is going to help them have not only uh, better health, but eventually better nutrition for the children. Y que esto se traduzca en mejores índices de nutrición. Guatemala tiene ahora la tasa más alta de, de doble carga de malnutrición, obesidad y desnutrición en el mismo hogar. Y, no, y, y tenemos que trabajar muy fuertemente con las mamás. Guatemala tiene el 50% de las mujeres en edad fértil con sobrepeso y obesidad. Eh, y en el 20% de los hogares hay un niño desnutrido con esa doble carga. Y tenemos que trabajar mucho en educación, mucho, muy fuerte en educación. So, it is an imperative to work in education. We have like a, a double... Um, burden. Burden, thank you. <laughs> exactly. And one is uh, moms, 50% of our mothers can be both obese or malnourished. And in 20% of houses, we have that, obesity and malnourishment, so therefore the um, double burden. It is an imperative to tackle both at the same time. Y muy rápido, el, el último tema, el sector agroempresarial. Tenemos que trabajar muy fuertemente también, y eso lo estamos haciendo dentro del sistema de integración centroamericano, para tener los mismos estándares. El Salvador y Guatemala han trabajado muy fuertemente en los últimos 20 años y ahora Honduras está trabajando en este último, en este último periodo. Y estoy seguro que el gobierno de Estados Unidos nos ha estado apoyando mucho 
con ese tema de poder estandarizarnos para trabajar con los mismos códigos, los mismos, las mismas leyes y las mismas eh, formas de poder comercializar nuestros productos, porque nuestro mayor consumidor de productos de exportación no es Estados Unidos, somos nosotros mismos en la región centroamericana. El Salvador and Guatemala have been working together for the last 20 years. They have been trying to create a common set of standards, codes, and laws so that the commercialization of the products is standardized, therefore. Why? Because it is not only, these products are not only coming to the U.S., but they are basically distributed and consumed by us in Central America itself. We are having the help of the U.S., but uh, in the last period, uh, Honduras has been also contributing to this process. Is there anything you want to add? Um, I guess I can't add too much to... Uh The Secretary's um, solution, I, it, it is clear we need a stronger civil service um, law in Guatemala. I think also in terms of training um, health workers and agriculture extension workers, um, it's probably also worth a look at those pre-service um, curricula. Uh, in Guatemala, an auxiliary nurse who is the backbone of the primary health care system, has three years of high school education and maybe 10 months of professional training. And that is the point of contact for um, the lion's share of the rural population. So even if we could take a giant step forward, a major important step forward of not having to address the training of a new cohort of, cohort of people every year or two, um, I think we also have to think about who's coming into the sector um, over the long term. Um, I totally agree with Herman when he basically mentioned that, yes, it's imperative, it's necessary to have that reform. Uh, personally, I believe it has to start from the Congress and it has to start all over the place because The issue is that the government, that machinery, I'm not going to see it's oil, is clogged, totally clogged with all that oil, so it's not really functioning because you have all these different networks within networks within networks and friends that recommend people here and there and there and say to, they just, it's basically a political uh, game, so they move over there. So it's definitely very important to have that. Otherwise, how are you? how is the government going to be able to deliver the, the social services that they need to bring school, health, education, agricultural support to the farmers if that system is not really functioning over there? And it has to start from the Congress as well. Um, changing the topic about USDA and the educational programs, I think that's still important. I probably will ask you to be a little bit more ambitious. It's not only school feeding. It has to be an integrated package how you can only provide school feeding, but also improve the quality of the conditions, hand washing, water, but also teaching. T 
teaching methodologies. It's not that difficult. It can go very well if you go in partnership with some other experts, some other organizations. So you bring the partnerships over there. And it, the partnership can be the government, uh, parents, definitely parents over there, uh, another organization. So you, you provide, and, and these programs can really be the linkage for developing at the community level. And finally, in terms of the business and agribusiness, that's another sector that is very important in Guatemala. It's layers. Where my project is basically working with the poorest of the poor that they don't have an excess amount of food. But there is the next level which they have some excess capacity and they can produce more. And there, there is another one. So if we don't, we need to try to work in the different areas to promote uh, agricultural. Uh, activities and also non-agricultural activities for people. We were having just some meetings uh, recently and one of the things that we were just talking is that not everybody is going to be able to be working on agricultural activities. We need to find the solutions in rural areas, how they can start working in other sectors. But going back to these, the regional markets, uh, our, in Guatemala our main partners, it's true, it's El Salvador, it's Honduras, it's Nicaragua, some of those are agricultural products. If you are in Guatemala, in Quetzaltenango, in Almolonga, two o'clock in the morning, the trucks are loaded with vegetables and they go straight to El Salvador. And there is a lot of trade over there. How we can improve, and that's a big challenge, how we can promote that. Because that at least promotes jobs and it, it, it helps the economy. How we can move those kind of models and systems to other areas that are, that are poor and they don't have those access. There are some programs, about, programs that are promoting the small irrigation systems. And, but again, it's looking into the value chains of those products and looking into the markets. Not everything has to go to Japan or, or Europe or to the United States. There are other products that can be promoted in the, in the, in the local economy and in the, lo in the region. So I totally agree. Central America, from the beginning, should have been more like the United States, a federation of countries, but it didn't happen. That's a different story. Um, yeah. Civil service reform is, is definitely important, um, as Secretary Gonzalez touched on. Um, we had a, a policy and regulatory support project that was active in Guatemala for a few years that looked at um, the civil service reform law. Um, it was also, re regarding the business enabling environment, it also looked at um, how to reduce the number of days so just to register businesses, which um, Guatemala did reduce the number of days to register businesses. Um, USAID has also worked a lot on um, sanitary and phytosanitary standards, which is essential with um, trade, uh, not only to the US and in the whole region. Um, with the work on sanitary and phytosanitary standards, the number of containers that were rejected in the US um, was significantly reduced um, through the work with, with the government and through education on, um, on SPS um, in Guatemala with farmers. Regarding the question on um, education, um, yeah, we're focusing on a lot on youth education now as the, the focus shifts to looking at youth, um, especially looking at vocational training and how, how youth can gain different skills um, to work in in the labor force as, as the economy is shifting and different jobs are opening. It's also um, looking at economic growth, building small and medium-sized businesses is, is very important. So having enabling people to have those skills to work in 
those businesses and having the entrepreneurial skills to, to lead and start new businesses is also critical. We're going to do something a bit unorth unorthodox and actually end early. Um, but I want to give you an extra couple of minutes to come up and ask the speakers any questions that you didn't get to and also to um, network with each other as we always have a great group um, in the room as well. Um, thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for those that are watching the li live webcast, especially in Guatemala. And a huge thank you to our panel of experts and representatives. Thank you very much.